0: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I'm not totally sure what happened, but about midway through the podcast, the audio just gets way worse. I think my headphones may have not been plugged in all the way, but it's right around when we start talking about what we're looking for in the UConn Creighton rematch. We get through the first part of the pod talking about the first meeting in Creighton's roster. And then as soon as we transfer over to start talking about the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, the audio just gets way worse. So sorry about that. Hopefully you can still hear it and can still understand the points that we're trying to make. And we'll try not to let it happen again, but no guarantees, you know, anything can happen. So again, though, thanks for listening. We appreciate you and enjoy the pod. Hello Husky fans, Bleed Blue Blog here to preview the UConn at Creighton matchup for Saturday, 12 p.m. noon on Fox. Been a long week since the tough loss to St. John's on Martin Luther King Day, but we are finally here, game day, depending on when you're listening to this, either game day is tomorrow or it is game day. The plan for today, we are going to recap the last time these two played run through some Creighton team numbers, take a look at Creighton's roster, and then some things we are looking for in the rematch. But first, a word from our sponsors. All right. UConn at Creighton, Saturday, 12 p.m. on Fox. Creighton is 10-4 overall, 6-3 in Big East play. UConn, meanwhile, 7-2 overall and 4-2 in Big East play. The last time these two teams met was on December 20th, 2020, it was the huskies first game back in the big east and while it was a very well played game creighton eventually came away with a 76-74 win in overtime james booknight led all scorers with a 40 point performance on 13 for 24 shooting he showed off his nba potential dominating in pick and picking throughout the game and then adjusting to creighton's adjustments rj cole was the only other husky to score in double figures finishing with 12 points on 2-for-13 shooting, as we know. And as he received a ton of um, flack on Twitter, he missed two critical free throws late in regulation. However, despite Cole's offensive woes, he spearheaded UConn's defensive effort, holding the Big East Preseason Player of the Year, Marcus Zigorowski to 11 points on just 4-of-14 four shooting and 1-for-8 from 3. Creighton's leading scorer that game was big man Christian Bishop who finished with 19 points on 8-for-11 shooting. Mitch Ballack, an elite three-point shooter, was held to just four three-point attempts, while Creighton's leading scorer heading into the game, Denzel Mahoney, was held to just 10 points on 4-of-11 shooting. Overall, Creighton shot 42% from the field, 7-for-27 from three, and 15-for-24 from the free-throw line. They turned it over 16 times compared to UConn's 13 turnovers. However, the Blue Jays did out-rebound the Huskies 48 to 41. UConn, meanwhile, shot 36% from the field, 7 for 30 from 3, and 19 for 26 from the free throw line. The front court for UConn didn't give much on offense, combining for 14 points, 12 rebounds, and 4 blocks in 50 minutes. Whaley was a perfect 3 for 3 from the field. However, he fouled out in regulation, which was a brutal loss for the Huskies, especially due to Whaley's ability to hard hedge on the pick and roll and then get back to his primary assignment. Tyrese Martin scored just two points in 35 minutes, but pulled down 10 rebounds, including four offensive. Jalen Gaffney played 28 minutes, scoring four points on one-for-eight shooting, pulled down seven rebounds, dished out three assists, and came away with two steals. Brendan Adams scored two points in 27 minutes on one-for-five shooting while pulling down three rebounds. Both Gaffney and Adams, while they did not provide that much on offense, were excellent on defense, whether it was guarding Zigorowski or Ballack or Mahoney or even Jefferson at times. Tyler Polly did not play because of COVID protocols. If you want to relive that game, uh, we wrote up two very in-depth articles, one on UConn's pick and roll defensive coverage, as well as one on James Booknight's offensive outbreak. Um, It's at, I believe it's Com. we'll tweet out the articles maybe on Friday or on game day just in case you want to relive that matchup it really was an excellent game um, so still still fun to to relive even though book night won't be playing you know you can kind of just look at how masterful he was in that game so after Creighton's overtime win over the Huskies they went on to beat Xavier, Providence, Seton Hall, and St. John's four in a row before dropping their last two games, a 70-66 overtime loss to Butler and then a 74-70 loss to Providence. For UConn, the Huskies followed up the overtime loss with four straight wins against DePaul, Marquette, Butler, DePaul again before losing to St. John's this past Monday. Creighton's second-leading scorer, Marcus Sigorowski, missed two games, the Butler and the Providence, no, I'm sorry, the St. John's in the Butler game before returning on Wednesday against Providence. He played 36 minutes, so I would expect to see him fully in action against UConn. Obviously, James Booknight will not be playing for the Huskies. On to some Ken Palm and Synergy numbers for Creighton, all of which is, is pretty good or very good. Creighton is 15th, according to Ken Palm, 11th in offensive efficiency, 36th in defensive efficiency. They rank 15th in effective field goal percentage and 26th in turnover percentage, meaning they do not turn the ball over that much. 47% of the Blue Jays' points come by way of the three, which ranks 43rd in the country. They shoot 36.7% from deep, which ranks 56th in the country, and they shoot almost 59% on twos, which ranks 12th in the country. So what do all those numbers mean? Creighton is very good on offense. Their defensive effective field goal percentage ranks 38th in the country. Their two-point defense ranks 23rd in the country. They're allowing opponents to shoot about 33% from three, which is around the middle of the pack compared to other teams in the country. So what do all those defensive numbers mean? It means they're pretty solid on defense as well. Okay, It's not like they're just scoring a ton of points on offense or being very efficient on offense and then slacking on the defensive side. No, both sides of the ball are good with the offense being a bit better than the defense. One thing Creighton is not great at is rebounding. They rank 267th in offensive rebounding percentage and they rank 204th in opponent's offensive rebounding percentage. So there is the chance that the glass could be a factor, although the last time these two teams played, as we mentioned, Creighton won the rebounding battle 48-41. to Creighton's adjusted tempo ranks 114th in the country. However, their average poss- possession length ranks 46th. So what does that mean? It means they're not necessarily looking to run, 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 but they're looking to score early in possessions. So it could mean trying to score and force it on one side, And then if it's not there, reversing it and then playing it on the other side before the defense can set up. They also love transition ball screens. Okay, just we call it a drag screen. So you have your big kind of trail in the play. Let's say it's Zygurowski bringing the ball up on the left wing. They're big trails just right down the middle of the floor. He stops at the top of the key, comes sets a ball screen for Zygurowski. Zygurowski then attacks middle. The big rolls. okay. And Creighton has everyone else spread out because they every one of their players can catch and shoot and knock down a jumper with Bishop or whoever the big is rolling to the to the hoop. So they love to do that and they love to play five out. Okay. However, their five out offense consists of a big man setting ball screens and rolling hard to the hoop. Unlike St. John's, who played a five out offense, but it was every single guy could put it on the deck and drive it and make plays. So Ball screens or pick and rolls, it's Creighton's bread and butter. 26% of their possessions involve pick and rolls. And on those possessions, they are shooting 51% from the field. Their points per possession of 1.034 in pick and rolls ranks 11th in the country. Okay. So again, their pick and roll game is very solid. All right. They did a, we did a whole, we we talked about it. We did a whole in-depth article on UConn's pick and roll coverage against Creighton. Okay. I think UConn had hard hedges close to 20 times. Okay. So again, that's what Creighton likes to do. It's still what they like to do is the pick and roll. Okay. They're also shooting 38% in catch and shoot situations, 50% in transition. They're shooting 74% on cuts, meaning mostly just kind of dump offs to bigs when their guards get into into the lane and then drop it off once the help comes. Um, so and then they also are scoring on 53% of post-up possessions. They don't go to the post that often, but still when they do, over 50% success. So what does that all mean? It means they are very sound on offense and they have options for how they like to score. Defensively, they don't have many areas of weaknesses. They're only allowing 36% shooting on pick and rolls, 31% shooting on catch and shoots, They've struggled in isolation defense as well as transition defense, allowing teams to shoot 52% when they get out and run. But with UConn's struggles on the break, as well as not really having an isolation player you can count on without Booknight in, I wouldn't really expect those to be much of a factor unless something's changed dramatically at practice this past week for the Huskies in terms of transition or advantage opportunities. And just a quick reminder about transition offense, time slash patience plus commitment. It's not going to happen overnight. If you want to be successful, it's going to take time and commitment. Anyways, onto the Creighton roster. They've got their main five, and then they have a few rotation players. But for the most part, they rely on their three seniors and two juniors in their starting lineup to carry the load. So we'll start with number 34, Denzel Mahoney, Creighton's leading scorer at 6'5", 220, The senior is averaging 15.1 points per game on 40.7% shooting and 36% from three. He's only shooting 34% on catch and shoot. However, when he's involved in pick and rolls, he is 12 for 23 when he keeps it. And overall, Creighton is shooting 59% on his pick and roll possessions. Okay, so very solid in the pick and roll. He's shooting 41% off the dribble. And went in the pick and roll seven for 12 off the dribble. So, not as much of a catch and shoot guy, okay, but more of can put it on the deck, one or two dribbles, elevate and knock it down. Number 11, Marcus Zigarowski, Big East preseason player of the year, honorable All American, averaging 14.3 points per game. 4.7 assists per game and 4.2 rebounds per game in 32.4 minutes per game shooting 41% from the field 41% from three in catch and shoots he's shooting 42% he's been involved in 113 pick and rolls this year for Creighton and in those pick and rolls Creighton is shooting 50% from the field in all of his pick and rolls when he keeps it he's shooting 43% and he also is 9 for 20 when Creighton likes to isolate him So a very sound offensive player generally makes the correct decision whether he keeps it for himself on the pick and roll or dishes it to the screener or an empty guy or an open guy in a spot-up situation. Number 23, Damian Jefferson. He's Creighton's Draymond Green, although some of his player comps on Ken Palm include our boy... Dustin Hogue, the Iowa State legend that UConn defeated in the 24 Sweet 6, 2014 Sweet 16. We love Hogue. Love, love, love Hogue. So anyways, Jefferson, 6'5", senior, coming off his career high of 26 points in the loss to Providence on the year. He's averaging 13 points per game, 3 rebounds per game, and 2.7 assists per game while shooting 60% from the field and 39% from three, a respectable number. On twos this year, he's shooting an absurd 70%. He's 16 for 23 in transition, only 36% on catch and shoots. Uh, He's been involved in 44 pick and rolls as the ball handler, and he's shooting 62, Creighton is shooting 62% in those pick and rolls. When he keeps it, he's a 7 for 11 from the field, and when he passes it, Creighton is 14 for 23. So Jefferson, who can be a bit of a, a matchup, uh, a difficult matchup. They'll put him in pick and rolls, and he's been successful. Creighton's been successful when he's been in those pick and rolls. He's posted up 10 times, six for eight from the field, and he's nine for nine on the year on offensive rebound putbacks. In his last five games, he's averaging 17.8 points per game on 62% shooting. So he is hot right now. The leading minutes getter for Creighton is 6'5 senior Mitch Ballack who's averaging 9.1 points per game, three rebounds per game, and 2.5 assists per game. He was a 44% three-point shooter last year, just shooting 36% from deep this year. On catch and shoots, however, he's at 43%, and off the dribble, he's just four for 17. So you're trying to run him off the line, okay, and make him put him on the deck and shoot off one or two dribbles. He Will set ball screens. Almost every time he does, he is going to pop or slip to the three-point line. Okay, he's four for eight from the field when he's passed to in those situations. He had a 14-point performance against St. John's, going four for 10 from three. But since then, in his last two games, so Butler and Providence, both losses, he scored just two points in each of those games, combined 0 for 8 from three. So Creighton hoping he gets right for UConn. UConn hoping they can continue to shut him down. Last member of Creighton's starting five is 6'7", junior Christian Bishop. Bishop is averaging 11.5 points per game and 5.4 rebounds per game in just 22 minutes per game, shooting 70% from the field. We mentioned this, but with Creighton's spread out offense, he's not really a threat to put it on the deck, does most of his work in pick and roll situations as the screener or on dump-offs, just having enough space for guys to drive it. Help comes, he's there, for the easy finish. He's 12 for 20 from the field as the screener, 17 for 21 on cuts or on dump offs, and he's Creighton's main threat as a post-up player, shooting 13 for 19 on 26 post-ups. He scored in double figures in Creighton's last three games. And he also led Creighton in the first meeting between Yukon and Creighton, as we talked about earlier in the episode. Next four Creighton players, all rotation players all averaging somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes per game. So just quickly run through these guys. Number 32, Ryan Kalkbrenner. He's Creighton's lone freshman who gets serious time, averaging 14 minutes per game, averaging 6.9 points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game, shooting 63% from the field, scores mostly on pick and rolls, dump-offs, and offensive putbacks. Number zero, Antoine Jones, sophomore, averaging 6 points per game, 3.4 rebounds per game, and 2 assists per game. 7 for 17 in catch and shoots. Creighton will use him sparingly in pick and roll situations. And when they do, they are shooting 8 for 19 from the field. Number 4, Sharif Mitchell, is another sophomore guard off the bench, averaging 15 minutes a game, scoring just under 4 points per game and is 6 for 15 from 3. Pick and rolls, they'll use him, much more likely to pass it than keep it. When Ziggorowski was out for those two games, he averaged 25 and a half minutes per game, 7.5 points per game, shot three for seven from three. However, Ziggorowski back against Providence, Mitchell only played five minutes, did not attempt a single shot. Lastly, number five, Alex O'Connell transferred from Duke, still trying to figure out his role with Creighton, averaging just 10 minutes per game, four and a half points per game, 3.3 rebounds per game, 43% from the field, and five for 14 from three. Again, when Zagorowski was out against St. John's, he had by far his best performance, scoring 16 points while shooting four for five from three. And that rounds out Creighton's roster.
1: On to what we're looking for. We're going to talk about the offense. We're going to talk about the defense for UConn. And we'll just kind of go from there. So starting with the offense, we're going to start with the good. So no-go coming off easily his best game in a UConn uniform, 12 points. 6-for-11 shooting against St. John's, and no, he did not play the last 12 minutes of the game. We discussed that matter at length on Twitter and on our morning after pod, and plus, we are now on to Creighton. So regardless, Sonogo coming off his best game, while Creighton is coming off their worst game against an opposing big man, Blue Jays allowed Providence big man Nate Watson, who is 6'10", to score 29 points. We don't expect Sonogo to score that many points, but... Can we count on him for another double-digit performance? The Omaha World Herald described Watson's buckets as, quote, quick moves to the block, catching lob passes over the top, and avoiding rotating defenders to finish, end quote. So quick moves on the block, yes, lob passes over the top or avoiding rotating these defenders. That's where I get a little, eh. and that doesn't have to do with Sonogo. that has to deal with, with UConn's guards and UConn's playmakers right now, especially with, with Book night out. So the question is, how can we continue to get Sonogo the ball on the block? In theory, yes. Yeah, it's easy to say, just give it to him every time. Okay, but who's throwing these entry passes? What are you doing when they front that front Sonogo? And what about when there's extreme ball pressure on the guards where they can't even get entry passes into the block? What happens if they decide to double? So, you know, again, how do we get Sunogo the ball time and time again and put him in successful position to succeed. There's two popular actions that we've won, that we've run, excuse me, one of which is a high-low look off the pick and roll. So Sunogo will set a ball screen and roll or dive to the block or to the right to the hoop, okay? UConn will then swing it generally to Isaiah Whaley, who's at the top of the key, and will look for a high-low look. So Whaley at high, looking for Sunogo in the low position, Okay, it's something we tried against St. John's a lot. St. John's fronted it to discourage at times, so that becomes a difficult task to make, and then sometimes we just swing it around and Sonogo will continue to post. Okay, again, trying to to enter it to him um, on the block or just kind of around the rim. The other set we run is this horns rip set. So Sonogo will, again, horns, top of the key, elbow, elbow, corner, corner, Sonogo will be at one of the elbows. He'll catch the entry pass. He'll then go do a handoff with the guy in the corner who's with him. After Sonogo hands it off, the point guard who initially threw the pass to Sonogo will then come set this guard to big. We call it a rip screen, okay, to get Sonogo the ball on the block. And meanwhile, the ball at this point has been swung around the perimeter, okay, and then we look for the post-entry to Sonogo Again, that's to get him the ball on the block. The other high-low look is more of just a post-up. It can be on the block, but it can also be in the middle of the key. This rip set, this Horn's rip set, is to get him the ball on the block and in the post. So I love this action. I think it's a really good action that we run, and against St. John's it was very successful in terms of getting him the ball, and then it's just a matter of if he can finish. Okay, with the high-low look, you know, Whaley's the best at those entry passes because he can look over the top of the defense, but with some of our guards' offensive decision-making, it's a little bit scary of a thought. So to wrap all that up, yes, I would love to see more Sonobo, and I would love to see more action to get him the ball on the block, therefore allowing him to make those quick moves to score. Creighton's post-defense, Bishop allowing 42% shooting on post this year, and then their backup center, Colt Brenner, who's seven but is allowing just four for 16 shooting. Okay, but he only plays about 15 minutes a game. Bishop is over 20 minutes a game. As we've mentioned time and time again, Burley loves to establish the post early and often in both halves. I would expect him to go and do that again, especially with Sonogo coming off such a good performance against St. John. Next, we're going to talk about those advantage situations for UConn, whether it's transition opportunities, turning defense into offense, or like against St. John breaking the press and having a four-on-three trying to convert that. So against St. John's, UConn was involved in 14 advantage situations where they tried to score. So some of the time they would break the press and then they would pull it out and then just run half court offense. But whether it was off a miss or a turnover trying to score an advantage situation or breaking the press and into a four-on-three, 14 times UConn just scored on four of those. Some were hit that out of bounds. And you kind of retain possession, but this would allow for the defense to set up. Some ended in missed laps and some ended in turnovers. Regardless of how it ended up, the collective outcome needs to improve. Early talked about it, we've talked about it. There's been an effort to try and convert in these advantage situations, and it's just not good enough right now. So we've mentioned this before, we mentioned it earlier in this pod. Okay, successful transition offense, okay, whether it's your initial push or your secondary offense. So bring it up one side of the court, reverse it and then try to play that side before the defense sets up. Maybe you have a ball screen. Maybe you're looking for post-entry. That's your secondary offense. Okay? All that takes time and commitment. It's not going to happen overnight. And heck, it may even get worse before it gets better. But if you're hurling and staff, you know, maybe you do start thinking about strictly turning these teams into a slow-down rock fight. But then if you do that, you're then relying on your half-court offense, which has not been very good and it's without its leading score, so it just kind of becomes, what do you do? My guess would be Hurley wants to stay patient, stay committed, because when our defense has been good, and for essentially every game except probably the Central Connecticut game and the St. John's team, our defense has been great, okay, that allows you to have more of those opportunities and then hopefully convert more of those opportunities because the more repetitions you get, the more comfortable you'll be, and hopefully the more points you can score. So last thing on offense, we talked about every game, second score. And at this point, it's really just like, who's going to score for, for UConn? Okay, we already covered Sunogo. Polly did not play against these guys the first time, coming off a one-for-six three-point performance. Can we get him better looks? Can we find him in transition more? Can R.J. Cole build off his three-point shooting from last game? Can he hopefully improve his finishing just a bit more? Can Tyrese Martin has more consistent stretches where he's looked upon as the playmaker. I love that late in the game, down one, we go to that floppy set where he comes and gets it at the free throw line. Pretty much an isolation set. We've ran it for Book nine in the past. We ran it for Martin against um, like in our in our last game against who was that again? Against the ball. Okay. And so we run it for Martin. He gets it at the free throw line. He passes it to Polly a split second earlier in the corner. Polly might have a pretty clean look gets it to him, Polly makes a great move, back to Martin, Martin gets fouled, Martin ends, up, Martin ends up missing the free throws, but I love that we went to Martin in that position, okay? Trying to get him more and more comfortable in those scenarios where he's asked to play make, okay? Can we get anything out of Jalen Gaffney on offense? Man, I feel so bad for this kid. Um, you know, obviously he put on a ton of muscle in the offseason, he's expecting a big year and he just hasn't produced right now. You could see he made that turnover in the St. John's team, and you could just tell he knew he was coming out. And it's just a, a brutal, brutal position to be in and feeling, um, where you know you're almost trying to play mistake-free, and that's just never, never a good thing. So hopefully, you know, he can get something just to get his confidence back. Um, you know, can can Brendan Adams continue to try to play make in transition or the half court? Maybe knock down two threes rather than just one three, you know, at this point, any point we can get um, is huge. Can a cook, a cook, show us something positive in order to keep him on the court, continue his development and confidence? Can Carlton find success, right? We talked about Sonogo in the post. Can maybe Carlton have success in the post? Can Whaley find ways to continue to score, especially in the second half where he found clutch baskets? So who's going to step up or continue to step up for UConn? in a game where you are definitely going to need points. On to the defensive side of the ball for UConn. So Husky's coming off a game where they let up a season-high 74 points in regulation, and they loss lost to St. John's on Monday. And many of those points came on a couple of things. But one is easy straight line drives to the hoop with no help defense, which is pretty shocking to see. And then UConn also allowed some timely three-pointers, which came in two different forms one of which was just the lack of those urgent closeouts we have seen time and time again, we're accustomed to seeing, or by way of transition, where UConn was in a bit of scramble mode, St. John's was able to make the extra pass, you get open a wide open three that they generally would make, especially late in the second half. So Creighton doesn't necessarily play fast the way St. John's plays fast, but they do play up-tempo. And it's gonna to need to be a concerted effort by UConn to avoid those easy baskets off the shots where Creighton is pushing it down one side of the court, they're gonna to try to hit ahead, look for those corner threes, easy drive to the hoop, if not reverse it, maybe a drag screen, which we talked about, and then they're gonna to look to playmate. UConn needs to make sure that they are back, picking up the ball, finding the shooters, okay, and then locking in defensively, okay, being disciplined and communicating early, often, and continuously. Okay, Creighton also likes to go to the pick-and-roll a lot. UConn has done a very good job at defending the pick-and-roll this year. It's been pick-and-roll D, the hard hedge, has been a staple of Hurley's defense. And who knows, maybe the lack of pick-and-rolls against St. John's is what opened up all those driving lanes because it's unfamiliar. It was just five out. I'm not sure. Either way, does Creighton have the same pick-and-roll package that they had in the last game, which UConn defended pretty well? Or do they have some different actions up there, please? Greg McDermott had a few after-timeout sets in that first meeting that include, included this kick-and-roll set where it was a kick-and-roll on, like, the left wing, and everyone was on the right side of the court and listed above the three-point line, meaning there was no weak side D or help D, okay, to tag the roller, so I'm going to be classified as the MIG, okay? So remember, MIG, most important guy, generally the defensive player, He's not involved in the initial ball screen, okay? He's generally a weak side defender or on the other side of the court. He comes and he tags the screener, okay? discourages that pass from the ball handler for as long as it takes until the original defender on the screener, usually like Whaley or Carlton or Sonogo, gets back to their primary assignment, okay? They're hard hedging. They get back. The guy who's the MIG, then we'll have to potentially close out on his assignment, or just kind of get back to his original assignment, usually in the weak side corner. And again, that takes discipline and communication. We cover that in an article. Again, we'll tweet that out for you guys to look for our coverages. So, anyways, does McDermott go to these kind of empty ball screen sets where it's hard to have a MIG there? Okay. Can you kind of get right on their defense with or right with their defense on their pick and roll coverage? I would say if Creighton brings their A game on offense against the same Yukon defense we saw on Monday, then I think it would be a long day for Huskies, for the Huskies and for Yukon Quick. I don't expect that to happen. Last time these two played, Yukon did a really good job of shutting down Mahoney, shutting down Ballack, shutting down Zigorowski. Jefferson had a pretty decent day. Bishop played well with the three headed guard monster for Creighton, all of whom are very good three point shooters were shut down. So I'm sure they're circling this game and McDermott has thought about different ways to get these guys open. Okay, so again, does Creighton bring their if Creighton brings their A game and Yukon brings their A offensive game and sorry, if Creighton brings their A offensive game and Yukon brings a similar effort to the St. John's game, I would be worried. I don't expect that to happen because it's college basketball and unexpected is ordinary, and then you add on a pandemic. So my guess is this game is going to be an absolute rock fight and just really hard play. Creighton trying to avoid a three-game losing streak. They started off down 23-6 to against Providence, so that's going to be in their head as they tip off. UConn trying to put their worst defensive performance of the year in this loss against St. John's behind them. They're trying to improve. I would imagine Hurley has these guys ready. They've watched the film. They've talked about guarding the basketball. I know they've talked about loose balls. Hurley made comments about being out tough, beating those loose balls from the St. John's team. I would expect that to be different this game. So, you know... I know we had talked about the expectation heading into the St. John's game was that UConn was recommitted or doubled down on their defense. However, watching the film, it seemed like that wasn't the case. And again, it could just be a bad night, which is college basketball, and it's a pandemic. But now with six days to prepare for Creighton, I would expect there to be a real commitment to ugly things up and be really in tune defensively play with a little bit more edge, okay? You know, if you're a UConn, you've got your, your leading scorer. Your best player is out. You've got nothing to lose. Let's win this game with defense. That would be my guess. I would expect this to be more of a rock fight. UConn, again, probably still going to try to take advantage of those advantageous situations, four on three, three on two, five on three, three on one, et cetera. But UConn, in order to have the chance, not a chance, in, for UConn, in order to win and be in the game, just be in the game, they need to recommit to their defense and double down on their defensive rebounding, play physical, and then just take points where they can get them, How, whoever that may be, whether it's Sonogo, Polly, Whaley, Cole, Martin, Adams, Carlton, whoever. So those are all the things we're looking for. Rambled a little bit at the end. For UConn, okay, more Sonogo. Who continues to step up? Advantage situations, can we convert defensively? Can we continue, can we again shut down their top perimeter players? Can we defend the pick and roll? And more than that, can we just get right defensively after one bad game? My bet would be yes. So UConn at Creighton. A rematch from the 76-74 overtime thriller back in December. The game is at 12 noon Eastern on Fox. Thank you so much for listening. We love all your support. We love all you UConn fans. And as always, go Huskies.